AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high quality ingredients. And what that means is each morning when I wake up, before I do anything else, I drink AG1 to set me up for the day. It keeps me clear headed, full of energy and focused on whatever I need to do, like writing the fighting cock, for example. One scoop once a day before breakfast and that's it. I've actually found that I've not been needing coffee in the morning to get me started. I've still been drinking coffee because I love coffee, but it's not because it's like a necessity to do so. AG1 is made out of the highest quality ingredients subject to the strictest manufacturing standards. AG1 is NSF certified for sport and this process involves exhaustive testing and verification that every serving of AG1 is exactly what you see on the label. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs for your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock. That's drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock to get started. And to help the podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day and enjoy the show. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Fighting Cock Podcast. I'm Flav and I'm joined by Kristen Hennage. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm really good. Uh, Kristen uh, knows a lot about football, much more than I do. And people who listen to this podcast realise I know absolutely bugger all about the game, really, other than following Spurs. And Kristen, I've, Kristen's always been my go-to guy to find out more than I know, Okay. And that's a fair introduction, I think, of you, Kristen. I mean, you've done all, all kinds of things in football, in terms of football journalism, but also scouting as well. You was a scout in the US for a while, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, 
yeah, did a bit of scouting work for an American team, yeah. Okay, and the last, I thought it would be good to chat to you because the last time we spoke, there's a couple of things actually, but the last time we spoke on this, the main pod, was when we'd signed Jose Mourinho and naturally I was very excited because he's a serial winner and, or he was, and um, and there was no reason, I didn't think, for me not to be completely over the moon that Jose Mourinho had become the Tottenham Hotspur manager. And you had mm-hmm. some reservations at the time, if I remember correctly. You might not know. You might. You probably don't remember the conversation as well as I remember it. But I remember the wind being taken out of my sails somewhat. Um, <laughs> what, 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 what were your reservations at the time? Um, as I remember them, it was to me the the motivation behind it seemed to be this guy will us a trophy, and that will fill in a big gap of what we're missing for being an elite club. And I just didn't think he guaranteed that in the same way that he used to. Because I mm. think the the pattern that is Jose Mourinho's career had become more and more pronounced as he had gotten older. And the time span for that pattern had become shorter and shorter. So I just felt as if this is going to just go like all the other clubs. But I don't think there is necessarily the talent level there to repeat kind of what he did at Manchester United, for example, where... Yeah, he didn't win a league, but you know he, he delivered some level of success that kind of kept everyone happy enough. When you look back at that, Kristen, that that success he had at Man United wasn't incredible, really, was it? It was a League Cup and it was a Europa League. Is that right? Yeah. And um, and while as a Spurs fan, I would have backflipped for that a hundred percent at the time. I would have, I would have gone. I would have been over the moon with that. And I just thought because he done it everywhere else including Man United but to a lesser extent because the trophies he won there weren't as significant as the ones he'd won everywhere else that, that surely it makes complete sense that him coming to Spurs would 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 mean that we were going to get that monkey off our back which mean essentially means winning a, a significant trophy even if it is the very least the, the the least significant trophy, even if it was a League Cup, it was still something and, and we could perhaps develop a winning mentality off the back of it. But it wasn't to be and everything you foretold um, came to pass. And it wasn't just you, it was everybody. It was everybody <laughs> outside of Tottenham were going, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and there was this, the, I don't know if you remember the Jose Mourinho charm offensive that he's been out of the game, he's changed, he's a different man. And... Uh, yeah, he wasn't, and and you were you were correct. But one of the other things that the interesting thing, conversations that we've had, um, was about Nuno. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had some ideas about what the Nuno, um, appointment was all about, and you sent me a a, a rather detailed voice now on, on on WhatsApp. So what what. What, what, what do you think the motives were from Daniel Levy and Paratici about bringing in Nuno when they did? Well, firstly, thank you for listening to that voice note because there are a lot of people that, <laughs> that I probably send voice notes to that go, oh, not this guy again. Um, <laughs> but no, you know what it was? To, to me, when Nuno was appointed, I felt like this is Jose Mourinho without the success. Like we have to go back to the start of the summer almost and look at like how Nuno's summer panned out. He talked to Palace, he talked to Everton, and then he ends up at Tottenham. That, to me, is like the definition of falling upwards. And even the Tottenham process from the other end, 
they spoke to Fonseca and they end up with Nuno and you think, how do those two match up? In if, terms of their playing style? Yeah, in terms playing? of like what they bring to the situation, how they would approach the situation. That's not, for me, something that I think overlaps or parallels well with each other. They're very different in what they, they want to do, I would argue. Um, and so it led me to the conclusion that has Daniel Levy looked at this situation and thought, you know what? Maybe the person we want right now is not available. So let's get someone in, just kind of take us through this rough grass. That will let us plan things, map out what we think the future will be. And then from there, we can go and get that person and genuinely start to build. Because I think deep down, all Daniel Levy has done is dismiss Pochettino and then keep denying to himself the squad needs a bit of an overhaul and there needs to be some fresh blood brought into this situation to make it better. He's been in denial, I think, about that pretty much from the moment Pochettino left and just convinced himself that if we just change Pochettino, things will get back to normal. And and that just hasn't been the case as we look at it plain and simple. I can understand his reasoning of bringing in Jose Mourinho, though. Because he know, I know that fundamentally he is a businessman, and he mm-hmm. he he thinks about the the bottom line and making sure that Tottenham is a profitable prospect for their shareholders and Enoch and all that kind of stuff, right? So he has an obligation to all of that, but he also has an obligation to the fan base and what Tottenham represents as a footballing entity. And I don't think that that I don't think he's oblivious to that, and I think the the employment of Jose Mourinho was a statement at the time, even though mm-hmm. people that knew better than him, like yourself and, and many others, Manchester United fans, um, <laughs> you know, he thought that that was the, the, the stepping stone onto the next part of his plan, which I think genuinely, I think he's, he is interested in, in, in the uh, betterment of the footballing side at Tottenham. And I think now the Conte employment uh the, the acquisition of antonio conte is, is is testament to that like he's made big mistakes and that that uh, the, the how nuno ended up being the tottenham boss after we interviewed four or five other other managers or at least mooted the idea about them coming to tottenham mm-hmm. the fact that he ended up with nuno wasn't necessarily um part of the plan but like you say it he hopes i think he probably hoped for more time to to plan ahead for the future. Yeah, um, I, I don't want to paint Daniel Levy as like the boogeyman. So if anyone thinks that's the the situation, mm-hmm. sorry to disappoint from from no, my Chris, perspective. No, I'm 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 in the uh, in the uh, I get a lot of stick for defending Daniel Levy. So don't don't worry about that. <laughs> I I think you know what it is when I look at Mourinho. I look at that Europa League final. My sort of lasting memory of that game was. It wasn't that Man United went over and steamrolled an Ajax side. It no. was that they basically let Davinson Sanchez have the ball and picked up on his mistakes. So to me, that's more of a reactive approach than a proactive approach. And I know that we've had this conversation before, that if you look at the two assistant teams that are title challengers now, Liverpool, Man City, they are very much proactive football teams. They have very robust tactical systems that can adapt to situations, but ultimately they don't necessarily rely on an opponent's mistake. They create the situation to profit from. And I think 
for me, that is not Mourinho's approach. And I think that's why you're seeing him sort of fall down the league a little bit. There's that generation of managers, Rafa Benitez, I would argue, is in a similar boat mm. where it's not enough anymore to just hope that you can capitalise on, on someone's mistake. You have to go out with the ball. And I think people like Jonathan Wilson have wrote pieces to this effect that the percentage swing of possession has got more pronounced as the Premier League's gone on in terms of teams dominating the ball. So it, it's... I understood why they did it from maybe a, I guess like a, a how it looked. You know, it was a like big a appointment. Yeah, like the the optics of it. Let's say I could understand that, but I just didn't think it was going to be the guarantee of success that they thought it was. And the same with with you know that's where I was like, okay, so you've kind of got the same type of manager who, you know, if we look at like Nuno's trajectory in England goes into the championship and he basically plays on easy mode because he has Neves in midfield, Jotter up front. It, it's not that difficult for him. He comes up into the Premier League and again, he can play quite a reactive style because they're newly promoted. Yeah, And then things kind of top out when he can't be a ball-dominating team. And I did speak to some Wolves fans about that and they said, well, you know, he didn't really have the centre-backs to do it, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, you know, his successor seems to be doing relatively okay so far. In, in yeah, terms I've of... been large, la- large, or large, or what's his name? Yeah, Bruno Large. Large. He, I've been impressed by how how forward thinking he is, and and how their their willingness to to take the game by. I'm trying to not fuck up my metaphors here. They're just willingness to to, to attack the game, and I know mm-hmm. in, in in the beginning of the season they were very attacking, and they were really unlucky against Tottenham not to beat us. We ended up winning one nil, but it it wasn't a, that result wasn't representative of that game that we had against them. And I was talking to a Wolves fan as well, and he was talking about how they became a little bit more conservative in their willingness mm-hmm. to attack, and that's resulted in some really good performances. I think they're five in seven for wins at the moment um, across all competitions. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been I've been impressed by what he can do with essentially the same squad as what Nuno had, minus hmm. Jimenez. Yeah, and, and like what was the big plan in the summer? It was Adama Traore for an obscene amount of money, which, I mean, look, I'm sure that would bring a lot of fun compilations at the end of the season of him blitzing past people. Um, but you have to cut those clips right before he does something decisive in the penalty box because you know it's going to go a little bit awry for most of the... Do you not know, think it's crazy about him? Because I really wanted him at Spurs. I wanted him because of because of what you just said, because of the mayhem he creates. And even as a manager, you know you don't know exactly what he's going to do or where he's going to carry the ball. So it's hard to include him tactically in uh, a kind of overarching master plan about how you beat a side because you just don't know where he's going, mm. um, which in a part is his appeal... And that's part of the reason why I wanted him because as fans, you look like you said, he gets you off off your seat, and you just see it, it's impossible to get the ball off. Like, what is it's a bit crazy that you can't? It doesn't seem that you can remotely improve the most important part of his game, or, or certainly the the most lacking part of his game, uh, which means you know creating key passes and hitting the target. It just it just doesn't seem to have it in him, it's, which is bizarre to me. I, it's you know it comes from. He's come from Barcelona's academy, mm-hmm. so he's always had talent. But he's languishing around, and this is not a disrespect, but 
to 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 Wolves or to to Villa who he was uh, who was there before I think it was Villa. It's not disrespectful to them, but he's his ability to carry the ball must be up there with the very best in the world. Mm-hmm. And just everything else is just not there. How can he? I don't know. He just doesn't have the vision. He doesn't have the. I don't know. I mean, we're going off tangent a little bit, but I'm just curious about what if we went in for him again in the summer. Not that Conte will want that, but like what you think of him as a player, really? Yeah, he's. <sighs> It's kind of like buying a sports car when you've got a family. It's, it's exciting, but it's not very practical. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a great, great example. <laughs> because, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, his career starts at Barcelona, so you would think with the skill set that he has, he should be an elite player. But the consistency has just massively dropped. Like, he had a period at Wolves where he was very good. But, again, I would potentially ascribe that to the fact that they were a counter-attacking team. You've got more space when you're counter-attacking. When teams drop off you and there's less space. Yeah, it, it, a lot of his uh, success is the fact that he has tremendous balance and speed and that kind of thing. Um, but if that was going to be the big solution, I, I don't know what problem they thought it was going to fix. I mean, so, look, yeah. as we sit and talk about it, the idea of him playing right wing back for Conte is just funny to think about. Like that could be, you know, hilariously enjoyable to watch. I don't know if it would be successful, um, but yeah, no, I have that debate with myself quite often, to be honest, the idea of like, am I taking away my own enjoyment of the game by being so practical all the time, you know, cause yeah. you're right. Like he gets you off your seat. There are a lot of players like that who will, you know, whiff it into the stands 90% of the time, but the excitement they give you is probably a lot more than players that pass it sideways and keep it conservative all the time. But no, if people making the decisions who get paid to do this have to think like that, I think. So, yeah, he, he would not have been uh, a sensible allocation of funds, I think it's fair to say. And there would have been a lot of money. It would have been like £40 million, as you say. But um, uh, one player that you can compare him to, but I think he's probably better overall, is St. Maximum, your your beloved Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And he, he when again, when... Although I thought we were much better than than you lot were when we went up there to to, uh, to St James's Park, um, he's he stands out. And it, it, does he flatter to deceive? Is that a player that I know you're much you're in a position now where you don't have to sell anybody, and certainly not the players that have significant value like him at the club. But do do you if Spurs were to acquire one of the two, who who do you think would be the better acquisition? I would be inclined to say some maximum, but then at the same time, I'm I'm doing some soul searching at the minute in terms of, yeah, he for the last two seasons he's been great. He's been standout man, the piano player, however you want to characterise him. But I have to confess, since Steve Bruce has gone and the team has regained more of a structure, he has not been as good. Now that's also a team that's out of form, that is winless in ten. You have to acknowledge some of the human elements there. But it has led me to question, is he someone that only really thrives when there's not a lot of structure, when things can be totally broke open and it almost looks like a game in the park where his individualism comes out and, and really shines? Like, how do you... We used to have this same debate with Hatem Benarfa. Like, how do you channel that? Because yeah. he wants to play centrally, just like Sir Maximin does. But when you put him centrally... It's almost like there's too much space for him to think about and too much it's so much better when he's focused down the wing and he has one defender to take on or a winger and a, do you know what I mean? It's like Yeah, yeah. You've got this 
really high level skill that you're fantastic at but I can't just apply it to the entire field. It needs to be directed in a way that is actually beneficial to the team. And then will you even defend? Like that's the other thing as well. Like with, he's not the most defensively minded player, which when he does what he does, you can justify a lot of the time. But yeah. if he scores twice and the team loses 4-2, you've still lost. You do know what I mean? It's, so you're <laughs> it's saying he's a, lu- a luxury player. We have shared luxury players before in David Ginola as well. Yeah, no, that's that's true. That's you know that's that's where it gets difficult because playing for Newcastle is not playing for Spurs. It's a diff- it's a totally different expectation. It's a totally different setup. We need the sum of our parts to be more. Whereas I think you could possibly get away with more individual brilliance over kind of team cohesion. Um, apart from in those top games, obviously, but you know those games at home against. Those at the bottom, like Norwich, arguably yeah. us. <laughs> then, then it's the, then it's a bit more will shine. And I think that, that, that happened with Genoa as well. He had some great games against big teams like Man. You won't remember this, but Manchester United in the League Cup, Spurs beat him three one in this season. That they won the treble, um, and he was incredible. But it, it fundamentally, Genoa was um, was something that to, to, that you'd have to navigate. He knew that while he was going to light up White Hart Lane. Mm-hmm. He may have had a role in many times in us not winning games. Um, but it's like you say, it's like there's there's a tactician's way of looking at a football match and then there's the, the layman's way. That's not to be dismissive, but the way fans who pay their money and want to be entertained view football as well. And both are pertinent, both are important and both have re- relevancy. But um, It's such a yeah. hard balance to strike, I think, because the diligent player possibly can't do what you know looking can do absolutely not absolutely not um i want to go back to nuno and, and 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 i'm wondering whether you were surprised at how quickly it went wrong for him but did you anticipate that and i know it's easy to say in hindsight yes i did but i i, I trust <laughs> i trust your uh honesty here and um did, did, were you surprised it went wrong as quickly was if he was a stopgap at spurs did you expect like i expected daniel levy to think that that he was going to give them more time by being um, less shit. <laughs> yeah, as I checked my notes. No, yes, I had it absolutely as it's happened. Um, <laughs> can you believe it? No, I, I didn't, to be honest. Um, especially after the start as well, because the start was was decent enough. And I thought, okay, this this will hit a lull at some point. It, it won't continue on this trajectory. Yeah. But I think maybe the, the way it unraveled is as much the reason that um, he is gone. Um, like the North London derby is 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 a, a big example. I think what I couldn't understand about his approach to that is he clearly looked at it and thought, you know what, I do need to be a bit more proactive or I need to not be as heavily reliant on uh, reactive football. Yeah. And then did it in the North London derby. Like that is, there's Probably risks. Not... Yeah. And then there's whatever that was just kind of, it was. It just felt like nothing, really, until they went three 0 up and they sat back and and I think I, I at the time held on to that the fact that we were much better in the second half, but we were three 0 down and that was Arteta controlling the game by allowing us to have possession in areas of the pitch that weren't really going to harm them. Although I still maintain to this day that on another day we would have drawn that for you all anyway um well, well the other thing i'd say about that as well it seemed crazy to me that he would go like that 
against a manager that had had significantly more time to do that same style and maybe had a better individual talent uh, kind of way off in certain areas. You know what I mean? That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So fair enough. Like we, we knew it was going wrong, but it, it, it probably not as quickly as, as it did. And obviously the fact that in the last two hours of his tenorship in terms of game time at Tottenham, we didn't register a shot on target, which is madness. Mm-hmm. Um, it forced Tottenham to react quickly, didn't it? Because like, I think everybody after the after the Man United game realised that Nuno was a dead man walking. And when we were 1-0 down, we took off Lucas Moura for Bergvine, which isn't a horrendous substitution. It's not the best because Lucas Moura is limited as he is, does do good things regularly. Uh, Bergvine has really done very little since joining. So I can understand why there might be some reservation, but the reaction from the Spurs crowd was so significant. It was deafening mm-hmm. the, the, the booze, which meant that the, it was it was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. It compounded, it was compounded by everything that had gone before it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I just felt like uh, from from then that point Daniel Levy and more to the point if you believe the reports Paratici said knew that it was done it was over he apparently when Rashford scored the third he left his seat and begun working on Conte immediately he made a phone call and said I don't know what he said but I'm I'm <laughs> assuming he said please 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 come and manage Tottenham we are <laughs> fucked we love you we'll give you whatever you want remember in the summer we tried to get you and you weren't ready because you was not over Inter you've got to be yeah. over it now please come and help us we've worked together three years in Juve we get on just come on and whatever he said and, and if you believe Fabrizio Romano's uh, reports of that conversation or that that circumstance that it was Paratici that managed to convince Conte to join Tottenham mid-season where he'd already had his sights set on Manchester United. It, 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 it's worked out well for us. Mm-hmm. But do you think there was a gamble involved in your... I mean, you never know for sure, but what your opinion is, is, is there was there a gamble involved in in in, in uh, Paratici's... Um, his, I suppose his gambit in, in trying to get Conte because it could have easily not paid off and we'd have had Ryan Mason in charge. Yeah, I I like the way that it's painted as like a Netflix drama that like he got up after the third goal. Like, I don't yeah, know, maybe it's like PR, the athletic right? as, 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 you know, the way they write has kind of furthered this idea of everything is so dramatic and intense. But I I think that game in particular, that change in particular, it was... It was doing nothing, really. It was doing something, but doing nothing at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it was a, a sense of activity when really nothing was going to change in that game. Um, or doing something for the sake of it, rather. And I, and I just think, yeah, you know, there's absolutely a chance that had the result gone the other way, that Manchester United maybe call time on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Conte goes there. Um I think that, that's that's legitimate, isn't it? That idea that 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 could have happened because if he's willing to join us with some persuasion, then he would have definitely been willing to join Manchester United. Yeah, one hundred percent. Because it seems like they are not stopping spending money anytime soon. If if you had to pick a team that was more likely to not want to spend money, 
would be Spurs. So yeah, 100%. I, I think for that reason alone, yeah, there was probably a sense of them realising that, you know, if we wait a little bit longer, there's a chance Conte comes off the market entirely. Um, even though Solskjaer seems like he's trapped in this odd Greek tragedy where Aldo <laughs> keeps bailing him out of trouble. <laughs> and But to be fair to Oli, before, even before Ronaldo joined, he, had, he's find, he finds a way of just staying in there. Just one more round. One more round. Just leave me in here. One more round. Like We knew, as Spurs fans, we knew that after the Liverpool game where they got slapped at Old Trafford, mm-hmm. we knew that they were coming to White Lane and they're going to win. Right? None of us were surprised by it. It was just... It was the inevitable that made it so difficult. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just yeah. any game. It was just like, they're going to come after the back of that playing so shit and the defence is awful and... Dyer, um Maguire is just standing still like a statue and he's the best defender England have probably and yet they're still going to come to Tottenham and, and do us over so it was that kind of that feeling I guess yeah which I mean again it's not great to go into any game feeling like that but it wasn't rooted in nothing you know there was there was a I guess some evidence to believe that that was how it was going to go and you know, I guess to a certain extent, there's a Machiavellian side to this that you know the ends justify the means. That if if Conte is now what you have got, and there is a pathway to spending money in January and in the summer, and and genuinely fixing a lot of the deficiencies of this squad. Because I was thinking about that last night when when you and I were talking that like a lot of the best aspects of the Pochettino squad have gone, like the very good fullbacks, the very reliable centre backs. Like yeah, hundred percent. Those aspects are no longer there. And replacements just haven't been good enough to date. I, w- I wouldn't want to include anyone that was signed in the summer because it feels a bit harsh to write. No, and, and I think even in in a very poor opening quarter of the season, Romero looks looks mm-hmm. like a, an excellent buy. So, so if if this is what it has taken, you know, a bad run for Nuno and derision from the stands, and yeah, you know, the ends kind of justify them. You got there eventually. You know, it wasn't pretty. It, wasn't maybe the most efficient way to do it. But, you know, all of the Spurs fans that I see on my timeline are much more optimistic about this. And I understand why. I would be optimistic if I was a Spurs fan too. Um, and you could argue that even if you lost against Man United, you're potentially in a better position than they are going forward. Because I, I don't know so. what they're I trying to do so. right now. I would say so. And I, and I, yeah, of course. I don't, I don't know. Do they keep... Um... Do they keep how, how long do they persevere with Solskjaer and eventually he's going to have to be replaced and it seems mad that they had if you again if you believe everything you read and I'm big sort of I'm, I'm I don't believe the vast majority of shit that people talk about on Twitter and, and and the news you read but if you do believe it that they could have got Conte and Conte is a I, I, I want to get your take on it. It, it how big of an upgrade would have Conte been on on Solskjaer. Oh, sizable. Yeah, but it's really significant. Um, because I think not only would he have given them a system that was, like, I want to say detailed, but a system that actually considered how everything interlinks together and doesn't just ignore central midfield. Like, that's something I found crazy about watching the Solskjaer thing is that when someone like Karl Anker asks him about how he wants his midfield to play, he just bats it away as if, like, He's asked him what he's having for breakfast that day and, and whether that changes on a match day. Like That's a really important part of things. And I always appreciate that some managers don't want to reveal secrets. They, there's a 
an element of protection to what they want to do. But nothing about his response to that question sounded like he was protecting his ideas. It was sounding like he didn't really have one. Yeah. Um, and that like that's a really big issue, given how important central midfield is in the modern game, in tactics, in all that stuff. So, yeah, it would have been a sizable benefit to that. You could argue as well, just the way that Conte um, operates, it would have been a good litmus test for the characters in the group in terms of who has a future, who doesn't, who maybe is, is not of the right grade to be at a club like Manchester United. I think it would have solved a lot of things. Sure, no manager is perfect. Conte is no different. There would have been issues about when he leaves, what you do next, that kind of thing. But overall, it would have been a huge net positive for that club. And yet, I guess whether it's duty-bound because of a goal he scored in 99 or, or whatever, <laughs> they can't seem to, to pull that trigger. It's, it's really, you know, I don't want to say hilarious, but like it's hilarious and painful at the same time to watch because they're just trapped in this vicious loop of Ronaldo scores a big goal at the end and, you know, commentators wax poetic about he's the man of the moment. It's like, guys, you just drew 2-2 with Atalanta. Like, it's not... Yeah. It's gone from like Barcelona '99 to Atalanta '2021. That's a that should concern you guys, and it just for for a lot of people, it just doesn't seem to. Um, and I, I want to obviously get your take on Conte overall. What 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 he will bring to to Tottenham? Because obviously we're really excited by him. Because you know by rights he shouldn't be managing us. He probably should be managing Manchester United, but we've got him. And he's got a, a fantastic track record uh, in management already. And um, yeah, just what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you make of the acquisition? What, what, did it surprise you like it surprised us? Because it's interesting to talk to someone outside the club because there is a, a massive sort of pro-Conte echo chamber that we sit in right now. Is that warranted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should, yeah, I should think we so. be excited. Yeah, because, because the thing is, he's definitely not a yes man. So that already should kind of excite you a little bit because you know he's going to call a spade a spade or whatever the Italian equivalent of that phrase is. Um, and I think, you know, you go back to like his his time before he took the job at Juventus. He was very forthright in saying to the people at the top of that club, I think this team can be better. Didn't even have the job yet, but he was like, I think this team can be better. I think, you know, it's not performing to the level it should be gave them like a four-hour presentation off the back of that of like how, what he would change what he would what, fix all that kind of stuff do you know his role then at that point was he still playing at that point or was it why was he talking to them in that fashion how, what was the circumstances he he was in management and wanted the job um and sort of gave them an impassioned speech to, to affect because because he started in the lower leagues which is not like a crazy idea in italy it's seen as quite normal like you do your not work experience, but you know, you do your hard yards, your ten thousand hours in the lower leagues. Yeah, and so, sorry, made his up. career that way. I know he wasn't a football man, but he, it was the same for him. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, he obviously cares a lot about Juventus. Um, he, he very much, in my experience, talks down his playing career, which is funny because he achieved a lot. But the way he characterizes himself as like a water carrier, like you know, I, I wasn't this tremendous football. Like that was Zidane and all these people that I played with. But he had a very good playing career. And, yeah, you know, he came into Juventus. He, I would argue, like, transformed them back to the powerhouse that they are today. Um, 
wasn't perfect. You know, it didn't always have the greatest pedal control in terms of managing European competitions and things like that. I don't feel as if that's a huge concern for Spurs right now, personally, just as, just as it, it sits. But in terms of what he brings, yeah, it's an intensity, 100%. That's something that I think has defined him in every role he's been at. To the point where, yeah, a lot of people find him quite difficult to work with. But realistically, if you've gone from what seemed like quite a bitter atmosphere under Mourinho, I think this is maybe the antidote to that. It's it's the idea of, yeah, there's a belief that now we're going in a forward direction. If Harry Kane felt melancholic or apathetic in the summer about what the future was at Spurs, I don't think he'll feel that way under Conte. I think he'll feel like something has injected into the club because that's kind of what he did when he replaced Mourinho at Chelsea. You know, that was not a great situation he inherited and yet he got them to the top of the league. I'm not saying he can do exactly that now because of the landscape. But I think mm. he can inject something into this club and this team, 100%. Uh, on that then, because we, we've talked on the podcast about players that might fall foul to Conte's ideals of what is expected of them. Um, do you see someone like Deli Ali or Ndombele or Winks suffering somewhat? So I, I, I name those three players because the narrative around them has been that their attitude isn't correct. And mm-hmm. and as we know from that infamous interview with Thierry Henry when he was Chelsea manager, Conte said that he'd rather kill a player than select one if they weren't willing to pull their weight for the team. Do you, do, do, is there any players that you worry about or is this a fresh slate for everybody? I think I think kind of both, really, because, yeah, it's a, it's a fresh slate for everybody. But will everybody buy into what he wants to do? That's the difficulty is. It is very much like his way or the highway. Like, there's no... That aspect of things in terms of the intensity, training methods, you have to believe fully in what is being done. And with Deli Ali, I'm a little bit hesitant to like throw him under the bus because I have a lot of sympathy for him in terms of burst onto the scene and it just feels like the momentum has just drained out of him a bit to the point where I'm not even sure what position I would put him in personally. Like Maybe he's a shadow striker, but he's billed as a midfielder. Came through, I think, as like a central midfielder at MK Dons. Yeah. Like There's just so much like uncertainty and shades of grey around him on top of the fact that he himself doesn't seem like he's that into football you know not I don't even mean that as a slant on his professionalism but he just doesn't seem happy um yeah I'd agree with that I'd agree with that and that's difficult whereas someone like Harry Winks I look at him and think "Mm, yeah I'm sure you're you're a good egg you're a good character but I just see limitations do you know what I mean like in terms of you're a good little shuttler of the ball but I don't think that's enough for Spurs. Do you know what I mean? I think it needs to be more. There needs to be more penetrative passing. Like that was something uh, when Oliver Skip went to Norwich. I watched a lot of his uh, highlights to write something for a, a company I was working for at the time. And I was like, yeah, like not not bad. Like his his forward passing needs to be a bit better, though. He's that's something needs to improve. Now, granted, he's still really young, but I feel like sometimes we can have that situation with a young player where we identify an area they need to improve and the years just tick on and it doesn't. And before you know it, the 24-25 haven't improved that, but you've kind of convinced yourself that they're still a young player, you know, like the Jesse Lingard paradigm almost. Like 
it's if I was Harry Winks, I would almost want to leave Spurs at this point because I don't think he's going to get into that team playing this way. He's much better dropping down, getting some consistency and see if he can improve that way because I don't think he improves at Spurs personally. It's, it's interesting you say that because um, I think that's something that's echoed by most Spurs fans. It feels like Deli Alley and Harry Winks' time might be at the end of... Uh, it might be at the end. And if we um, if we want to maximise what we can get out of them in terms of value, that now would be the time to sell. Although, you know, like I said about the clean slate, that perhaps there's an opportunity for both of them to to reapply themselves and and see what see what will happen. But we don't know until we know, and we'll find out in the next two or three months. Um, I, I want to get your ideas on what Conte will change tactically compared to, say, Nuno, because they seem diametrically opposed. Mm-hmm. What, 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 does, what does a Conte team do that Nuno's didn't? Um, I think they approach the game through the lens of how can we win it rather than how can we not lose it in very broad brushstrokes. Yeah. Um, because I think one thing about Conte is it's not that he's not... I think sometimes he is maybe seen as someone that doesn't bend at all. But actually, if you look at his time at Chelsea, they start in a back four, drew with Swansea 2-2. Uh, they lose, I think, then to Arsenal, possibly. That game afterwards, he ditches the back four, changes to a back three, and the rest is history. A title follows. Yeah, And that is something he has said before, that he looks at a manager as someone that is like a tailor almost. They have to build a system or a formation that is accommodating to the players that are in the group. It can't just be, this is my... Let's say, let's say like Sari is the, the opposite end of that spectrum, where it's, this is my idea, let me do it or don't bother. You know what I mean? So I think, I think he will persist with the back three. I think that has become something that maybe he holds as, as part of his identity. It was something he did it into Milan as well. Um, but I think you will see a lot more intensity in terms of wanting to dominate the game and wanting to be the team that's in control of things, even if they're not always in control of the ball. I think that's what we want to see. I think that's that's the sort of key aspect to it. Well, obviously, we want to see us winning games and, and, um, and, and you know, being successful. We've had four months under Nuno and we've had 18 months to two years under Jose Mourinho and we've not had any of that. And it's, like you say, about being reactive to the opposition's frailties is important and it has value. And we saw under Jose, Jose Mourinho certainly in the sort of midsection of his career at Tottenham where we were top of the league for four weeks, five weeks, which was mad. Um where we we won games by being reactive to, like I said, to the to the, the the fragility of whoever we were playing, but to have a a manager now who want to take the game to the opposition, I think that's in the first instance, that's all we want. We don't want we don't necessarily demand victories right now. Although I'm sure there are a lot of Spurs fans that are really hopeful about what will happen on Sunday against Everton, but 
if we didn't win that game, it wouldn't be the end of the world as long as we saw a different attitude on the pitch. Um, uh, tell me about what you know of his system, the three-five-two or the three-four-three. You mentioned him changing it after getting beaten by Arsenal. I thought they got beat handsomely, didn't they? I think it was like five-two. I think something like that. And he changed it to a, a back a back three, and then won the league. Um, what 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 do you think he'll do with the Tottenham squad? Tactically, like what 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 do you think we'll see? And just to give further flavour to that, apparently his first training session yesterday was that he had an eleven against eleven, and both teams playing a three five two. What 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 do you think? What do you think we'll do? How do you how do you anticipate? How do you predict how we'll line up against? Uh, Everton at the weekend? So I, th- I think you can start with the back three. Where I am not as sure is what the midfield and then the forwards look like. You said 3 5 2 there, which is interesting because that would then, I think, mirror closer to uh, Inter, where yeah. it was a front two of Romelu Lukaku and Latero Martinez. Um, the, the one, of the, one of the guest hesitations is. Is not really a back to goal striker in this group, unless I'm totally miss. Um, I know I don't think there Harry is. Harry Kane. Well, Harry Kane is a, a, like a archetypal number ten, mm-hmm. as well as he is a number nine who plays beyond. Uh, he can hold the ball up. He's got it in him, but he's not Lukaku in that respect. Yeah. Whereas at Chelsea, it was Diego Costa, and that's why I'd say I'm not too sure thereafter because at Chelsea sometimes it was a 3-4-3 and you had like Hazard, Diego Costa, Pedro Um, I was actually just watching something last night of when they played against Bournemouth where Hazard was a false nine Um, the midfield if I assume that 3-5-2 is accurate I think it could be Hoiberg sitting deeper someone that's looking to organise things, control things Essentially, utilize what are his best assets, which are his reading of the game, his passing. Yeah. Um, not the most mobile, let's just say, in the context of the group of central midfielders that you've got. No, but you're, from, you're right. From there, Ndombele, I think, comes in there because he's someone that, I'll be honest, I love Ndombele. I, yeah, if, if you didn't want him, I would take him tomorrow because I love the way he passes, would... love the way he moves. Like, he's just, ah, man. Yeah, just so much fun to watch. Um, and then alongside that, you would argue maybe someone like Lacelso, because he can carry the ball. And again, that gives you a, a semblance of balance, I would say, in terms of the jobs that you're asking them to do. The wing backs, I, I, I yeah, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think the wing backs pick themselves at this point. It's going to be Emerson Royale, I think, on the right wing back slot. Yeah, and then uh, Sergio Reguilon on the left. Um. I have some intrigue about what he does with the three centre-backs because he might look at Ben Davies and think, I could play him as a centre-back in the same way I did as Piliqueta at Chelsea. Um, yeah. Just because he's reliable. I think Jaffet Tanganga becomes a centre-back in this system as well. Um, instead of the odd kind of full-back role that Mourinho had him under, which I didn't fully understand, if I'm honest. Like, it didn't... He didn't always look that comfortable to me personally, but that's just my opinion. I think if, you, if you're playing, it, well, just just on that, well, if you was playing a back four, Tanganga isn't the biggest or necessarily the strongest, or at least he doesn't he doesn't carry the 
expected attributes of a Premier League centre-back, but neither did Mascherano or, um, like you say, Aspilicueta. You know, these aren't the typically smaller, but quite gifted on the ball centre-back. So as a part of a three, you could probably get away with that. Uh, but when, when you're in a, in a four, I think per- perhaps Mourinho thought that his athleticism would um, would be a, a, a greater benefit than his lack of physicality as a as a centre back, maybe. But if you've got three that mm. uh, on the right hand side, that might not be a bad thing. And if you're talking about the Cel- uh, the Chelsea back line, you know Asper Asper is a, isn't isn't your archetypal British English centre back who wins trophies, is he? No, no. Which is is why I guess he's a little bit like Cameron Carter Vickers, isn't he? He's not big enough to be a traditional centre-back, but he's, you would also argue he's not necessarily adventurous enough to be a full-back who gets forward. Yes. So he's sort of trapped in this like middle ground of you're not really sure what to do with him. Um, so could you see I, a back three of, 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 of perhaps Dyer on the right, who's a right-footed centre-back, who mm-hmm. isn't the most mobile and is probably more in keeping with your archetypal British centre-back. And you've got Romero in midfield, who, uh, sorry, in, in the middle of the three, who's would be fantastic in that position. It's kind of like David Luiz in his pomp, that kind of sort of style of play. And then Ben Davies, who has played on the left side of a back three for Wales, doesn't sound, it sounds quite balanced to me. Yeah, I, th- I think of, of the options available, that's probably the best one as I look at it personally. Um, and Sanchez, I don't know if you have strong opinions about Davinson Sanchez. I I have strong I have strong opinions about him. I think he's I, I think he's very average, very very like uh, very average. His his abilities as a defender aren't that, that he has some qualities, but on the ball he's not as he's weaker than you th- you think he would be. Like he gets he, mm-hmm. he gets brushed off the ball, you know, in a way that you wouldn't expect a centre back to, and his ball playing playing ability is championship level probably. Yeah, I mean, we said before, didn't we, that in that Europa League final, Man United absolutely targeted him as the weak link on on the ball. Um, that's not going to get better when you get into the Premier League. If anything, that's going to become more pronounced. So, yeah, I think that's sort of your back. Can't do the maths there. Uh, your back eight plus the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper's not going to change. That's going to be Larissa, I imagine. Um, so then it, you would think the front two picks itself, and it's uh, Harry Kane and, and Son. So. There's the semblance of something that looks good there. It's just maybe not exactly as he has done it before um, in terms of, like we said, a back-to-goal striker. The the Sun or Martinez role of someone floating around that central striker, I think Sun can do that quite well. I, f- I feel like that's something he does quite comfortably. Uh, for that reason, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe in time you saw a situation where he tries the three at some point. With Kane as the the focal point, and then you know maybe Son or Bergvine, Son or Lucas around him just to give them more options in the final third. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is I wouldn't say predictable, but I think a lot of it it just clicks into place quite easily um, yeah. in terms of the the squad that you guys have got and the the options that that presents. Okay, I just want to get your take if you can predict the future, and which is an impossible thing to do in football, and anything can happen. Fifty percent chance. <laughs> it do do Spurs are Spurs title contenders 
next season. Next season? Oof. Yeah, not this uh... season. It's a, so it, like, let me just set the scene for you. So Conte's come in uh, like an elite mm-hmm. manager. He's probably come in because Daniel Levy is over a barrel, so he has to give Conte what he wants, i.e. the money in the wages, but more importantly, enough money in the transfer kitty in, in order for Conte to shape the team he wants to shape. If everything is golden at the end of the season, we've bought players in January and we're going to acquire in, in the summer with Paratici at the helm in terms of the footballing matters. Mm-hmm. And I'm just setting the, the the scene that Spurs fans want to see. Um, can, is that it's not unreasonable to think that Spurs could challenge for the league next year, is it? It's not unreasonable, no. Um, or is Get it, off the what fence, is it? Kristen. What, are we gonna gonna, we, we're going to fucking win the league, aren't we? What is it? My dad says it's not impossible, son, but it might be improbable. Um... <laughs> <laughs> improbable things happen every day. Exactly, exactly. I'm sat right here now. That's improbable. Um, I think I think you'll be so much closer to the top four and you might flirt with the title challenge, but I, I you know what it is? This speaks more to the quality of Man City and Liverpool, if I'm honest. Because I just, I don't see where they drop off. Because it, a little bit, you kind of have to look at it like when under Pochettino you had those title challenges. You needed horses to fall away to clear the path for you to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So I don't see how those two drop away significantly to create that pathway. So it becomes a bit of a logjam. So I think you'll have a very good season getting the top four, but I don't know if people will look at you as title contenders. And um, I'll respectfully uh, call bullshit on your opinion. And um, I, <laughs> I will... wish more people would. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that uh, you don't know what you're talking about and Spurs will be reigned uh, champions at the end of next season. But whatever it, whatever happens, you know, whoever is right in this this conversation, um, it's going to be fun, right? We're, we're going to have more fun than we have had under Jose Mourinho and Nuno. Is that correct? Yeah, hundred percent. You'll have a lot. You'll have a lot more fun. It'll be a lot more entertaining because because that, that's the other thing as well. As I sit here, not to to unfurl my own uh, issues onto the table, but Newcastle. Who knows what they'll be doing? There's, wow, there's this every chance this they're it. in the championship, but there is equally a chance that they somehow survive under, I believe, Eddie Howe. See pack for details. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, really? It's happening. And then do something you know sizable themselves. Like it. It's a funny time in the Premier League, and I've seen a lot of people say, you know, the the manager's on show now, so show why this is quote unquote the best league. It's certainly a very competitive one heading into next season. Um, so, yeah, the, those factors alone make it hard for me to predict personally. Um, but you'll have a, you'll definitely have more fun. That <laughs> I sound like I'm trying to sell you tickets to an amusement park. You'll definitely have more fun here than yeah. you would under Nuno and Jose Mourinho. And I think you will feel a much greater sense of camaraderie with Antonio Conte than you would with Mourinho and Nuno because I think Mourinho especially increasingly his it's us against them has become it's me against them yeah um, he's got mental isn't he that... he's got mental I mean like mental's per, per, you know pejorative um, but he like, he like the fact that he's got he, he's displaying everything he displayed again uh, with, with Man United and Tottenham at Roma mm-hmm. 
like, like, Roma started okay, but they've just gone, it's all gone a little bit tits up. And he's just behaving in exactly the same way. He's not learning any lessons. His ego is unrivaled, I think. Yeah, it's it's the same songs, just for a different generation. It's I can't speak, you know, I'll get in trouble if I say this, blah. Like it's, I do feel sorry for him a little bit because I think, I think when I look at his whole career, I think if you sat him down with a psychologist, he is still really hurt by Barcelona in terms of he went in there as a translator. He wanted the job before Pep got it, didn't get the job, felt slighted, and then spent a good portion of the time after that trying to shove his success down Barcelona's throat at every chance he got. And now, where is he? You know, he's he's in Rome, but I think Things he knows... Things go wrong really quickly. Yeah, it's... Can it's I just the, pick you up on that just, just a second? Short. So what? So so he... And I know he was always like a psychopath and had ideals beyond his capabilities at the time, but when he was a translator to Bobby Robson and then beyond... So there was there was conversations from his camp and his camp back then would have just been him and his missus, I'd imagine, that he wanted that job over Pep. So this was a little bit later on. So he had left okay. Barcelona, he'd gone to Porto, he'd done you know, all that kind of Before stuff. Before he went to Chelsea? Uh, no, this would have been after Chelsea, if I've got my okay, time right. All right, okay, um, all right. In my, head, and, I, I, in my head, he's a translator and then demanding the job. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite there. Um, no, but it was... If I remember right, Barcelona had like a list of criteria that they wanted for this new person to be. And they felt like Guardiola ticked more of the boxes than Mourinho did. And I and I just think the way that he has sort of reacted to and portrayed uh, Guardiola and Barcelona and that whole church, if you will, says to me that he was still really slighted by it. And that for him... Maybe it was the idea that he felt like he was an outsider, even though he had worked there. And Barcelona's a complicated club at the best of times, like in terms of its identity and its politics and all that stuff. But I just feel like so much of going to Real Madrid, all that stuff, it was just defined not by a desire to succeed, but a desire to rub Barcelona's nose in it. And maybe that's me projecting a theory onto a man that didn't feel any of that. But right now... I just see someone whose fuse for destruction gets shorter with each job to the point yeah. where, you know, we're not even at Christmas. Like like the Man United, you know, that third, the, the, the year he went at Man United, it, it was so funny to me, the similarities, because at last season at Chelsea, he came to America, played the New York Red Bulls, lost, and then was gone by Christmas. He came to America, I think played the San Jose Earthquakes, did not do well, and then was gone by Christmas. And was so this it the, just... was this the um, uh, when they do the European tours in the summer? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And and to be clear, that Red Bulls team. I've debated this with colleagues. They think, oh, like it's just a friendly. That was a team of kids that they lost to. It was not the first team. So even if you think you know, oh well, it's an MLS team, it's a professional team, it can happen. No, this was this was young kids that they pretty much lost to. Um, this was like the birth of, of Tyler Adams, who now is at RB Leipzig and playing very well now, but was very much a child at that stage. And so it's, yeah, it's it's sad because I think there is a charm to him. But then, you know, as you touched on right at the start, that whole charm offensive he gave on TV about being more mellow and all it, it went out the window as soon as the temperature got hot. You know what I mean? It, it's 100%, yeah. 
it's it's those changes don't matter if you abandon them as soon as things get tough you know fair enough uh thank you so much Kristen, for your time and i'm taking your point that spurs will be champions next year and i will hold it to you when we finish fourth or so uh, and say why you was wrong uh yeah yep appreciate (laughs) that (laughs) it's been lovely talking to you uh i always love talking to you thank you so much for giving me your time Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. 
Simply go to Geico.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.